the red flag flying here. Joe Solo is a talented musician and also he's a socialist. He uses his music to connect with socialists and to build movements to help people within his own community and far beyond. A popular figure in our movement, Joe discusses here his musical journey and his journey into socialism. Hello, welcome to Socialist Think Tank. Today we have Joe Solo speaking to us. Hello, Joe. Good evening to you. How are you doing? I'm absolutely fine, thanks. It's great to have you with us. Cheers very much. So, Pleasure um, to be around. Yeah, exciting backdrop you've got behind you there as well. It's, uh, it's really nice. It's, there's loads going on. Uh, this is where I've been doing my live streaming stuff. Um, so I've made a nice little backdrop, so it's a bit interesting to look at because there's not... There's not worse than, worse than somebody doing it in the shorts in the living room and like a, a <laughs> crappy picture wall and a dying spider plant. So I've tried to tie it up a bit. Oh, it's, it's really appreciated. You'll notice that I've got one of yours there and, uh, you know, oh, you know, that's the latest edition. So Proper on message tonight. You'll take that down, won't you, for the next person you interview. Oh, no, it's, it's staying up, it's staying up. You know, you'll be able to <laughs> judge my, uh, my Zoom calls by what's behind me. You know, you'll be able to uh, backtrack time with it. Um, so, first thing I'm going to do is what I always do. Um, what is socialism to you, Joe? Uh, socialism is the eternal quest for um, a fair and just society where nobody gets left behind. And the, the, um, the wealth of that society is shared among all citizens equally, um, regardless of any of the dividing lines that capitalism puts between us. Um, I also, I always add as the caveat that when you talk to a lot of working class people, they always think it's like some kind of slackers charter, that um, socialism means that nobody gets ahead so that everybody gets lazy. It's quite the opposite of that. Socialism for me is about everybody um, bringing the best version of themselves to the table and be nurtured and encouraged to do that and society becomes richer and more prosperous and more and, and more welcoming as the result of everybody being able to deliver the best version of themselves and bring their skill set to the party. So it's it, it far from being a slackers chat, it's quite the opposite. I think capitalism's a slackers chat because it creates it creates rich and power and it alienates, whereas socialism inspires. That is, uh, that's a pretty bang on message there. That's uh, quite an impressive one. So um, you're, you're a, a pretty, um, pretty respected musician. You know, a lot of us have, have seen your gigs, absolutely loved within, certainly within our movement and, and beyond. Um, I was wondering, what was your musical inspiration growing up? Um, I, it, it was The Clash, probably. Um, uh, I, I, it wasn't the first band I got into, the first band I really got into after after um, after those sort of like seven year old heavy metal records that you had if you grew up in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, I, 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 the first record that really made me go wow was um, Stiff Little Fingers Go For It. Um, I remember a friend of mine had borrowed this record off his older brother and um, he had this little dance set record player and he just like lifted the needle up and he put it on and I was like that. Like, that sort of crackle and hiss you get in anticipation of a record starting. 
and it kicked into Roots, Radicals, Rockers and Reggae and I just, it was like somebody had switched me on and I think most music fans have that moment, you know, they have that record that made them go, wow. And for me it was that, Roots, Radicals, Rockers and Reggae by Stiff Little Fingers. The feeling I got there, I can still remember now and I still get um, the airs on the back of my neck standing up. Because I knew at that moment I was about 14 years old and I knew that that feeling I got there was the one I wanted to pass on. I wanted to work out how you did that and I wanted to give other people that feeling because it was just so brilliant. So that was the first moment with music. But I think overall it, it was the clash because they, they've, they've stayed with me all these years. They were, they were my band, they're my go-to band. Um, I, 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 I play the records for years and then I'll pick it up and then I'll run with it for a couple of months. I just love them. And, and, and it's, that, it's that constant... Um, do the questioning you, and they're making you question you, and and they're not telling you what to think; they're making you think for yourself, and that's a really important thing. Um, uh, it's a really important bridge between between some um, songs, which are I think this, and you're supposed to think it too. Whereas the Clash were like, "What do you think about this?" and 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 that's an important difference and and so I've, I've always loved them for that because they've always made me question everything but that that's that's it the clash loads of other music over the years but that's my go-to band so that's interesting because the, the clash are quite like you know political in many ways um i wonder what came first for you music or socialism do you think um they arrived roughly around the same time because I, I was politicised by the miners' strike and I and I was I was fourteen in in eighty four so that that was roughly when I was hearing that record so I think I think the two the two things probably came together because it, they're making you question the world and then you see this and it's all over the news and prior to that point you'd had um you'd had the Falklands War. Uh, and you'd had um, the riots and all this, and then you'd had the, the Thatcherite thing about, you know, all these lazy unemployed people, which the Tories always do. And then you had these people um, in communities not far away from where I lived. I wasn't from a mining community, but I, 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 there were certainly northern communities only a few miles up the road. And rather than sort of sat on their ass um, waiting for work to come along, which was the Tory narrative. These were actually fighting to keep their jobs and then they're getting criticised too. So naturally punk rock feeds into that. How, how can they have it both ways? How can they criticise people for being sat on their ass not looking for work and then criticise people for fighting to for nil to keep the work they've got? You can't have it both ways. So immediately that, that contradiction, uh, you, you know, that uh, and, and punk rock thinking makes you think, hang on, this is wrong. This is wrong. What I'm being told doesn't sit right. So uh, that, that was it around that time, 84. An ironic year given Orwell's book. But yeah, 1984 was my year. <laughs> So, you know, you, so with that inspiration, at what stage did you start to make music? I, I, I was writing songs pretty much soon after I, I learned to pick up a guitar. I've, I've never been a person for learning covers, really. I learned a few in the late 80s because I did a lot of busking. But by and large, as soon as I could play chords, I wanted to write. Um, and... And so even now, if you say, oh, play us a Bob Dylan song, I wouldn't have a clue how to play a Bob Dylan song, whereas, whereas you know, other songwriters will rattle off a dozen. I, I just never learned. I, I, as soon as I pick one up, all oh, right, that'll make a good song, I'll write that. You know, I, I, I'm just a writer from the start, you know. 
Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, apart from the difference between you and me is probably that, um, that I'm crap. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I did write a few songs myself and I did kind of go down that route and I don't know that many covers and when, you, when, you're, in a, um, when you're in a bar and people are like, oh, you play guitar, pick this up, play this, and you sit there going, um, do you want to hear one of mine? No, I don't want to hear one of yours because I want to hear something I know and want to sing along. Yeah, um, it's that, that feeling of being an organic jukebox for people, isn't it? <laughs> and the amount of fights I've got into. No, if you want to hear that, bugger off and listen to your records. I'm playing this. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so were you always like, were you always Joe Solo? Were you always on your own or were you, were you in a No, band? no, I, um, I started life in 1987 at, in a school band, just bashing out punk rock covers. And that gradually morphed into, um, uh, oh, excuse me, <laughs> the pollen's getting the better of us. And that gradually morphed into um, part, part punk rock songs and part, um, part our own songs. And um, that gradually overtook it. So we, we've probably played a, a handful of Clash and Stiff Little Fingers songs for about six months before it started morphing in. Uh, right, I've written this, we're doing this now. And, um, and then that after, after everybody went their separate ways when we left school, um, I, I, I became a busker. I, I hitched all over the place. I hitched all around this country. And I hitched um, France, Spain, Germany, Switzerland, Holland and Belgium before I came back again. So I did... I did sort of two or three years worth of busking then stopped set up a band called lithium joe in all and we were around for 10 years and then after that um pretty much with, with a year off while i had kids um i, I was just solo from about 2002. you talked there about going around like different countries in europe has that influenced your, your feelings on socialism did you see different things in different countries or were there similarities as well I, I, I think what strikes you is not the differences, but the similarities. That the, the language might change, but working class people don't. And and um, and, and it's it, it's a sort of we we have all these national stereotypes, don't we? That French people are like this, and German people are like that, and Spanish people are like. That. And it, and it, and it's rubbish. You know, working class people are working class people wherever you go. The language barrier might be difficult, and and um, but. By and large, I think people are welcoming and and, and, and fantastic. And, and the the um, if you're a, if you're a certain type of person who who, who who says hello and wants to know about stuff that's going on in that town, they're more than happy to talk to you. I, I, I think there's there's you know it's a cliche now, isn't it? In in the wake of Joe Cox's statement, but the, we really do have more in common than we have that divides us. You know, particularly among working class people, I think. I think when, once you start getting up, I think people pinch the nose a little bit when you get into middle and upper classes. But but working class people are the same wherever you go. The only thing that changes is the language. Speaking of language, do you do you speak all those languages, or did you just no. like muddle through? I, I muddle through, um, but I try, and 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 by and large, you, you that, that that's that's the thing that um, you really do pick up quite quickly is that lots of people have enough English to get by on and, it, and it's it's us with our kind of like island mentality we don't have a second language by and large but I, I knew enough French words and a tiny bit of Spanish that I could make half a conversation apologize for being English and rubbish at languages they would laugh and then start talking English but it's if you don't make an effort that that, that the ackles come up and but that that's the same wherever you go do you know what I mean if you if 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 you walked into 
if you if you walked into the middle of Glasgow and, and insisted that they stopped talking in their accent and started talking in yours, do you, do you know what I mean? You're never going to survive. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just like came across and started pointing and grunting, just going, uh, uh, that one. That yeah, one. yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's the equivalent. Of, well, the way that, yeah, the way, the way that um, the way that English people go abroad, you, you know, and, and 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 laugh about how you just put an at on the end of every English word and it's Spanish, and you went out all all the time, going, oh yeah, beat ya, beer ya. You know, I mean, this crappy racist nonsense, right? Um, you know, can, can you imagine walking into a Glasgow bar and saying, okay, the new I'll have a lager. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you know, you won't even get the lager word out, and rightly so. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, so you've, you've spoken a little bit about like kind of your busking and stuff. So when, when you went solo, you know, how did that come about? And was, was that like very much influenced by, did you perfect your craft while you were busking, do you think? No, um, the, the, the busking stuff, I was really writing band songs while I was busking. So when I came back to all, I had, I had a set of, um, I had a set of um, songs that were, were ready made for a band, probably about 20, 25 songs. So I immediately set about looking for a bassist and a drummer. So it was quite the opposite, really. I'd had enough busking and then I wanted to make some noise. Um, it, it was when the band split and, and it, 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 to be honest, it, it, it broke my heart. You know, you, you know what it's like, you put 10 years into something and when it's gone, it's really, really tough because, you know, you've given up your most energetic years. The band started when I was, when I was 20, 21 and it finished when I was just, just shy of 31. And, and there your years, you know, and, and, and I thought, I thought that, that was it that and and that, that was that was genuinely really really tough, um, and I, I didn't think there was a way through that. And, and to be honest, I was still writing band songs right the way up until probably 2007, and I I, I, I just trying to overdub a band on it, you know, so that it, it, it sounded okay. And it, it wasn't until 2007 that the penny dropped that I actually could do this on my own. I could make enough noise to to, to do that, and 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 I could probably write in a different way you know that was more lyric focused so that, that it was it was a stronger story rather than looking for hooks all the time i would i would i would i would tell it like it was in the words and so it took years so i mean i was what 37 probably by the time i realized that i could do it so it's a long journey you know so like um while you were writing for the band were they always like socialist inspired songs or did you have like a different different things that you would write about? It's, I, I, always, I always wrote about left-wing politics, but I tried to, I, I often wrote in, 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 the, in personal politics, in metaphor, so I would be, I would be writing, um, I would be writing in a way, it's, it's hard because they're two totally different disciplines. When you're writing for, in a band, it, it's definitely about melody and it's definitely about hook lines and it's definitely about getting people in the in the surge of the moment and and so it's a completely different way of writing lyrics so it, it, it's much harder to um to, to tell a story in a band song and equally it's it's much harder to have a, a punch the air chorus in an acoustic song so and um, the two 
the two disciplines are, are wildly different from one another. So no, they weren't directly socialist songs, but they were always left-leaning things, and we always did we always did a lot of a, a lot of benefits and stuff um, for all those causes, you know, for anti-Nazi league and for, for local stuff that came up for refugees, for whatever came up. We we were there doing that stuff. So I've I've done that right the way from from '91 onwards. So I've I've always been there for the cause, but not always singing quite overtly politically as I do now. Yeah, I know I know what you mean. Um, so in the past when I've written things, you, you kind of hide things behind metaphors like mine were all, every single one was about my experiences in, in trade unionism and, and uh, you know, and trade union battles were having and no one knew it. They thought they knew what, they were, what the songs were about. But, you know, no, the, the very few people who knew them um, <laughs> thought that, uh, you know, thought they knew what they were about, but they're actually you know, mainly trade union songs. Um, so have you had, have you had, Speaking of trade unions, have you had much trade union involvement? Um, in, in what way? So are you active in a trade union at the moment? Or, or do you... I'm, I'm in two trade unions. I'm in the Bakers and I'm in, I'm in Unite. Um, so I'm, 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 I'm not in a musician's union because I think I'd probably get thrown out under the Trade Descriptions Act. But, um, I'm, um, yeah, I'm in those two unions. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not active um, on the ground in those unions. Now I've got my membership card um, and I vote, but I'm not, um, I'm not an active participant unless I get invited to sing at, at um, conferences and stuff like that. Largely because I've got, I've got loads of other struggles going on. It's not, it's not because I, I, I don't like the trade union movement or anything. Just that, just that I've got loads, way too much on as it is, you know. But um, no, I, yeah, I'm in two trade unions. Proud trade union member. Um, very happy to um, support win benefit gigs, sing on picket lines, do conferences, all the things that I've been doing over the last few years. But um, boots on the ground, no, because um, the, the company that I work for, uh, Mending Washing Machines, it, it, we've got zero chance of unionising that workforce because we never meet. So, you know, to actually get an active in-house trade union, as you know, we'd need 51% of our of our workforce um, in the same trade union. And we see probably two out of the 180 plus engineers and you've got zero chance of unionising that. Um, so at work, no, I've just got my membership card and it protects me and it's a great threat when they say, we're going to do this and I'll say, oh no, you're not. <laughs> You say like you're not active, but actually it sounds like you've done a, a fair fair amount there, like more than a lot of people do in a trade union. So like singing on picket lines and keeping that inspiration up. Is that related to your experiences uh, from 1984 when the miners' strike was on? Did you did you see the importance of keeping the morale up on the picket lines? And it, it, it was it's quite an interesting thing, isn't it? That that um that it's songs that do it. It's songs that, that um that carry it, you know, like protest music was really born on those picket lines, you know, with the Wobblies, you know, like with, with the Joe Hills of this world and the Ralph Chaplins of this world, singing singing on picket lines, lifting spirits and and, and the power of music, you know, I mean, it, 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 it was such a threat to the authorities that, you know, Joe Hill was a marked man for years and years and years and he eventually took him down. But the, um, the, that the unifying force and the inspirational force of music on those picket lines, um, it's an interesting sort of like journey through history because they, those songs started out 
when, when you trace them back, their, their hymns and their show tunes were political lyrics. They, they, they took something that people knew and they, and they gave it a political edge and that, and that was um, that. That was how they did it, you know. They didn't have to teach. Oh, this one goes like this, you know. Like I have to do it. <laughs> you know, half of it was already done for them, you know. Um, and so, and the same with a minor strike. Um, and Tosh McDonald actually said this to me. Uh, he said, you know, that the show tunes thing and the um, and and the uh, and the and the um, and the hymns was part of the culture of that time, you know. The music hall and the church were still big parts of people's lives. And he said, in, in 84, the songs that were sung on picket lines were terrorist chants. You know, that was the cultural reference point at that time. It was, here we go, here we go. Do you know what I mean? There were still songs there, still that kind of oomph that those, those songs gave them. But the, 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 um, the, the societal focal point where that music came from had changed. It had shifted from the church to the footy terraces. And, and so, I mean, people, people like... Um, uh, like like poetry on a picket line today, or go around London picket lines and 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 rant poetry and things like that, and try and g people up and try and you know give them that same kind of bump. It's all part of that spirit, you know. If you just stood there shivering in the rain, you think no one's on your side, and then and then somebody comes out and starts ranting rebel poems at you. It's like yeah, we could do this, and it's the same. It's the same thing. It just lifts people's spirits, and I, I think it's probably more important than ever. I think. The problem that musicians on picket lines have nowadays, by and large, is that um, so many musicians are seen to have, I don't necessarily buy into this, but are seen to have used that in order to make a career for themselves, that now you're distrusted before you're trusted. You know, it's like, oh yeah, if somebody wants a photo opportunity on a picket line to put on Facebook and he's not really with us, you know. So you kind of got, it takes a couple of songs to bend through that before they actually, this guy's all right, you know. So I think it's not as big a part of, of it as it should be, to be honest with you. I think, I think musicians on picket lines have a great deal to offer the, the, the cause and a great deal of, of, of helping lifting spirits when things, when things aren't going quite so well, because it is tough out there, as you know. Um, it's hard enough getting your own workforce to stand with you, let alone members of the public, you know, it's, it's tough. So you mentioned there about like people making a career out of, out of maybe going to a picket line and then building a career. You don't seem to have tried to build a music career. You seem to like just do things for other people with regards to that. You've got your standard day job and then you seem to use your music largely to simply fund other causes. Is that, the right impression? Have I got the right impression? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't. I, I've, I've, I've never made a profit in thirty-three years. <laughs> I think. I think that the, the closest I've got to breaking even was one year I only lost seventy-eight quid. But usually, usually I'm, I'm about a grand down. It's like an expensive hobby. Um, but uh, no, I've, I've never made any effort to, and and, and it was a conscious decision. Um, but, I mean, I, I, in 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 my band years. You, you know, you can't. You kind of have to do the best you can because you've got three other people to think about. You know, and and, and it's their lives you you're making decisions for. So we we probably were interested in um in the music industry for the first three years, and after that we went our own way and never never engaged with it at all from about ninety three ninety four onwards. And I've 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 only ever met one person who works in the music industry 
and 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 in all these years, um, I've I've just never, it's never been part of what I wanted to do. Solo wise, no, I'm I'm. Uh, it's you're quite right in in that that's that's an accurate um, an accurate description of of what I, I do, and it is a conscious thing. Um, I, I, it comes from. Have, have you ever read Bound for Glory, the Woody Guthrie book? Yeah, yeah. The the the, the last passage in that book where he's in the studio and they're trying to put makeup on his face and they're trying to tell him what songs to sing and all that. And, and he walks out and, and he goes down onto the street and he ends up in this kind of like rolling rabble where people are singing their stories and, he, and he's strumming along and making things up and then everybody's joining in and it turns into this kind of ramshackle parade of people. That, 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 that's a big metaphor for kind of where, where a folk singer should be. But that is probably the most inspirational passage I've ever read because I, I was reading it with tears rolling down my cheeks thinking that's where I belong. That, that's, that's where you should be. Singing people's stories and and, and 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 being a part of the people that you belong to, and and if you if you you can't you can't you can't sing those stories if you don't know them, and you can't you can't you can't raise their issues if you don't live their life, you know. And and um and so that's that's the only thing I ever wanted to be was part of that parade of people shouting up. And what about this story? Yeah, I can put a tune to that, you know. And it's it's a great place to be. You meet so many amazing people, and um, you, you you know in a, in the in the music industry you kind of you, you kind of buy the loyalty of people, you know, because you're paying their wages and people do things for you because there's something in it for them. And and down here, you know, you, people are amazing. They just do it because they want to do it in solidarity with you. There's 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 no um, there's no in for them. There's no money for them in it. There's no gain for them. They just see what you're doing and, and, and they want to be a part of it. And the gain is just, a, it's just this kind of mutual appreciation and respect for, for, for the cause and, and for, for, what, for what you're managing to achieve from very little. And it, it's, it's a brilliant place to be. I wouldn't, swap it for, I wouldn't swap it for a record deal or a Ferrari or any of this shit. That they, they, I, I, you know, it, it's, it's just a great place to be around people who, 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 who pitch in with their skills and, and become part of something that's organic and dynamic and just brilliant, you know. It's it's a fantastic place to be. Yeah, you mentioned like that that must be good to have that that level of freedom to do whatever you want and not have to answer to, you know, a record label and do you know that would you find that a really stifling thing to have to do? Oh god, it it'd be horrific, yeah. Yeah. I mean you lots of people don't realise that you that you're on rosters with record companies. Um, that that your year is so and so year, and you're, you're going to record it then, and then you're going to make that record, and then you're going to tour it for eighteen months, and then your time on the roster will probably come round again in another three or four years. And I, you know, I, I, I write way quicker than that, and 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 so many people have these record deals to get the record made. It gets trapped, they get, they get dropped down the roster because somebody else comes along and makes a bit more money, and they fall back down the wayside. They can't release them songs because they're bound in by publication deals and all listen to it. And, and, and it, the amount of people who come out the other side of the music industry bitter and twisted and, and angry, you know. And I am, I, 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 nah, I want, I want to swap independence at all. I think, I think, um, 
I think as, as, as long as you've got the discipline to do it and you don't think, oh, I, won't, I won't do anything this year, as long as, you, as long as you're still looking for the next song and you're still thinking, right, that's when I'm going to make this record and that's when I'm going to do this, as long as you've got that discipline in yourself, it's a far, far, far better place to be. There's no money in it. If, if you're wanting a career in music, there's no money in it this way at all. Not a penny. But it, yeah, that's not what it's about. You know, it, It's about communicating ideas and about lifting spirits and about being there for people when, when they need those songs. Because that, 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 that thing, uh, there are times in people's lives when they need a certain type of song and, and, and they'll drift in and out of your music because at other times in their life they need other people's kind of songs. But if you've written a song that's there for them at that time, then it, it really sticks with them. And, and, and it's that, it's just, it's, it's been there for people, uh, musically, <laughs> and emotionally, hopefully, and financially, hopefully, too. All this stuff, just been there for people, man. <laughs> um, that's absolutely brilliant. You're not just a musician, haven't you written a book? Is that right? I've done a couple of kids' books with, with Kevin Pearson illustrating them. Um, I've co-written um, a, a book of um, interweaving short stories with, with my friend Andy Wilson. We did, we did a couple of volumes of that. Um, and I'm still meaning to, when, I, when, when my voice finally goes, I still will write the, the, the full story of that. Um, I, I love writing. I just don't get an awful lot of time to sit down and do it. So um, kids' books, I can rattle off quite quick, so they're quite handy. <laughs> So all this stuff that you're doing and all this, I like, kind of, is, is this all, everything that you're doing, all this giving away of, like, of, of your money, and, and, you know, a lot of people would think, well, you know, that's not a really capitalist idea to go around and raise money for other causes and stuff like that. Is that just an in intrinsically linked with your socialist ideals? Well, yeah, you, you the, it's all... But when when you make when you make music and you and you make merch and, and you make all that kind of stuff, what what you've got in capitalist terms is a load of surplus value, right? You've got all this stuff that that you, you've created that costs this amount and it sells at that amount, and the difference is what capitalism thinks of as profit, right? Now you can either think to yourself, right, I, I'm sat on all this stock, therefore I am worth this amount of money, or you can think to yourself. I'm sat on all this stock that costs me this, and the difference between what it costs me and what I can sell it for can help a lot of people, and that's basically where I come in. So I, 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 don't, I don't make stuff so that I can make a profit. I make stuff so that I can help other people. So because that, um, that's, where, that's where you can be of, of most use, because it, it, it generates income, doesn't it? it, 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 it it's, it's worth more than it, it, it was initially. You've, 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 you've generated something that makes money. And if you're a socialist, um, a hand-on-heart socialist, then you, you, you want to spread that around people who are suffering. And, and it, it's, it's, not, it, it's not a charity thing, you know. It's not, it's not some kind of, like, you know, Victorian thing where the lady of the manor went down onto the streets and look at all these poor people, you know, <laughs> like there were some kind of subspecies or other. Oh, we must, we must take some of this money that we've made by exploiting them and perhaps spend it on fans for them. How hot do they look? You know, not, not, it's nothing like that. You know, 
it's it's um it's it, it's the it's solidarity with people because um you, you look around you and you know there, there isn't much work about and and the, the work that is about is crap wages or, or zero hours and when when you hit hard times as we've done under austerity then you you see um that poverty you see the streets around you pe people struggling you know some people moving out other people moving in the 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 the, the house prices going down and down and down and down and um and just society as a whole just slipping away and it it's not it's not every community around the uk where you see that that's uh, this feeds back into the political thing because i think some of the discrepancies in the labor movement are born out of the fact that that, that some people don't see that and and for other people it's all they see so you you have this discrepancy between the liberal left and 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 vast numbers of the working class who, who, who and, and it's kind of near the twain shall meet because neither of them sees the other person's world um but in the, in the world that i see you know between the humber and the t's by and large professionally but you know everywhere i go musically um, it, it's kind of the same story you know you 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 see and you see in communities that have have suffered from a 10 year loss of investment you know because not only have they had the money cut in real terms with, with inflation on that the way 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 behind where they should be and the infrastructure is falling apart and the support services aren't there and and, and you see people who, who really need help not getting it and so uh, I, I, I don't want boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff in my shed thinking I'm a rich man and um, while other people have gotten out you know and 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 so I, I, I'm, I'm, my dad taught me the greatest lesson in life about money. Um, he, 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 he said, you only spend it. And it, it, it's, it's true, you do. You know, what, what am I going to spend it on if I've got it? You know, uh, another guitar. Well, I've got one, you know. Uh, uh, another pair of shoes. Well, I've only got two feet. Do you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't want more stuff. So if that can help other people then that's that's it's it's greatest value you know now given that like yeah you do work full-time fixing washing machines that's right isn't it yeah yeah and and um given that you do that and then you do music as well as that a lot of people have like a, a musical career that you know that's that's all they do and that's what they do and i'm, I'm sure you wouldn't begrudge them earning like earning a living out of that at all and, and like you know that's absolutely fine and a lot of musicians if they earn a living some of them don't at all a lot of musicians like uh, you know they don't earn a great deal of money but like you were talking about all that capital and all those those t-shirts and stuff and i don't think anyone would begrudge anyone earning that money but do you think that the link between work and money has totally gone the wrong way because like you know you could work really hard for all those things you do and, and you give that money away you could work extremely hard or you could just turn up as a hedge fund manager and make like billions in a day on 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 a country failing has the link between money and work gone 
oh, oh well, without a shadow of a doubt, just going back onto your, onto the musical thing, absolutely, I do not begrudge musicians making a living off that stuff. The, the, the only reason I behave the way I do isn't because I'm trying to suggest that all musicians should do that. It's just that I've already got a job. I don't need two, you know? So, um, uh, you know, all, all, all my musical comrades out there who are trying to make a, trying to scratch a living out of it. When, when I get around to payday, I'll buy their T-shirt or I'll buy their CD or I'll buy their tote bag because I want to try and spread it around a bit because, you know, it, it, it's rock hard for them. And, and frustrating as it is for me to miss gigs this year, for them, it's a lifeline, you know, and 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 uh, so many of them will, will really struggle. And traditionally, people who, who, who aren't able to do their art fall and fall back on on waiting tables or serving behind bars, and that work's not been there either. You know, so it's doubly difficult for them. So absolutely no way do I expect musicians to behave the way I do. I'm a washing machine engineer who gets to do that in his spare time. I'm not a professional musician, so. That, that's where the line draws. No, they, they should they, they're perfectly entitled to try and make a living out of that stuff. Got to make that clear. Um, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? How, how you can you can go online nowadays to, to, to Job Centre Plus, and you'll, you'll never find hedge fund manager, will you, in the um, in, in, in the in the in the list of vacancies? No. Uh, uh, well, yeah, it's. It, it's this it's capitalism gone mad it's, it's this thing we call neoliberalism isn't it that the money's got sucked to a few people at the top who want more and more and more and more and the idea of it of it trickling down as it as, as was the the great you know the, the great um capitalist dream it is just absolute nonsense in it we, we all know that it, it doesn't trickle down it dried up a long time ago and uh, if anything goes if anything goes wrong for us we pay for it and if anything goes wrong for them we pay for it you know it, it's it's the age-old thing. Um, it's it's a broken system. It doesn't serve working-class people or working-class communities much as they might think it does. Um, in certain places, you know, if if you're managing to eke out a living and you're just about managing to keep a roof over your head, then you might think you want to hang on to what you've got. But you know, the system's not going to serve you. It's never going to serve you. It's only going to serve the people at the top, and it's not ever going to do that no matter how many tweaks we get it's it's just failing everybody apart from the people whose pockets it fills yeah i think like we're, we're always sold that that sort of false truth that um if you work hard you'll end up being really really rich and if you don't work hard you'll end up struggling and in fact you can work incredibly hard and some of the most hard working people i know in my job like you know so cleaners and you know they're now getting called key workers but they are they're, they're the ones who they'll never become rich out of their job and they do work incredibly hard and there are some skilled people as well who don't earn loads and loads of money and you know actually I think it's quite skillful being a cleaner I was a cleaner before and I was rubbish at it but you know like you know it's it's a hard thing to do well you uh, need to have attention I, I think, to I think I'd, I'd like to think that 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 lockdown and and COVID has taught us that um, every, every single person out there um, is, is, has a vital role to perform in society. And that's, that's basically, you know, where we came in at with socialism. You know, we, we, all, have, we all have a skill set that we bring to the table and we all, um, we're all important in the way things go. I mean, if you look at how many people were involved in that food chain, where, you, you know, all of a sudden 
all the managers who were swanning around thinking that they thinking that they run run the world. They, they're all sat at home doing nothing. And yet it's and yet it's it's lorry drivers, it's dockers, it, it's forklift drivers, it's sailors, it's it's you, you know it, it's against the supply chain right the way back to the supermarket, to the shelf stackers, to the checkout staff. Uh, all, all these people who are, who are making society function and keeping society function, all of a sudden, like you say, are called key workers. They've always been key workers, but it's just everybody looks down on it. And the, the, this thing with hard work and one and, and if you work hard, you'll get on. I mean, that, that, that's, that's been bullshit for 40 years. Um, you, you, um, nowadays, if you've got a 40-hour-a-week contract, you're expected to work 60 and you won't get paid for the 20 hours overtime, you're expected to do it because there's plenty of people lining up outside the door to take your job. Now, you think about it in real terms, two people doing 60 hour weeks, that's three people's work. And yet both of those two people will look down on the unemployed bloke next door and call him a lazy scrounger. And yet they're doing his job for free. So we've got this kind of, and you're never going to get on, you're never going to be able to save because them 20 hours a week you're doing extra is wearing you out completely. You're not, you've not got any quality of life in your spare time. You're not getting paid for it. You're not able to stash something away. So you're retiring to poverty. Your kids won't have any kind of nest egg. And you'll wonder why you work so hard and got nowhere and why that lazy bastard next door is not as much as you are. You're all going to have nothing in that system. You know, this working hard no longer gets you on. That is absolute bollocks and has been for three four decades since neoliberalism took over squeezing every last ounce of profit from working people it possibly can and it's really it's it's the, the real reason why working class communities have got bled dry is that for every two people out there that they're doing three people's jobs and that third person when you multiply it for an entire town is roughly equated to the number of unemployed people <laughs> that's uh <laughs> just incredible that you've managed to articulate that so well but so true what you've said um i'm going to like kind of look for something a little bit more positive now because we've, we've highlighted like you know what the issues are and stuff but, and, and, but what i'd like to know is what are your hopes for the future in socialism how would socialism create a better society do you think well that that depends on on people um reaching some kind of consensus on what to do. Uh, we um, have a number of paths to go down. I mean, as, as you know, some people believe in, in the democratic path. Some people believe that, you know, if you can get democratic representation in parliament, then somehow you, you can usher socialism in through a popular vote. Um, personally, I think the last four years have disproved that. But um, other people believe that the only way you're going to do that is... Um, if you go back to the roots of socialism and and you 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 re-educate and 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 rearm with knowledge and ideology the working class because if what what seems to me to have happened is that the parliamentary labour party has detached itself from the labour movement and the labour movement often has detached itself from the working class and and the the, the, the trade unions certainly the larger ones have become bureaucratic um, entities more um, concerned with um, sounding right for the media, for the establishment media, than they are sounding like working class people. And when working class people don't hear their own voices in these institutions, they think those institutions are for them. And what, so for me, trade unions and the labour movement should never be pandering to the establishment. We should always 
be revolutionary in nature, we should always be challenging the establishment, not trying to speak its language, trying to speak the language of the working class, because it's, it's only through that that we'll ever change the system, because it doesn't matter what, what, um, what we try and follow in terms of identity politics, in terms of what we, what we do here. The only thing that makes any sense to change the system is class, because only through class have we got the numbers to change what's going on. If, if we start attacking it as, as one, um, um, one group or another group or another group, all we'll ever get is concessions to, to you know, sit back down again now, we've given you this, you sit back down again, pipe down over in the corner there. That's all that'll ever happen. We, we, we need to attack the system as a class or, or we'll lose every time. And the only way we're gonna do that is if we recognize that we don't represent vast swathes of the country anymore in the labor movement. They don't hear their voices in, in, um, in parliament. They don't hear their voices in, 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 um, in, in, in the interviews on the telly with trade unionists because they're so concerned with talking the establishment's language that they no longer sound like us. You know, and so there's this kind of disconnect which we're gonna to need to reconnect with and we're gonna to need to re-energize that. It's largely come about because, um, sorry to bang on here, but, you know, but it's come about because, um, because in the 1980s, our mass manufacturing and our heavy industry were all destroyed. And, and back in them days, your, your, um, your shop stewards were, and, and there was massive trade union membership and your shop stewards were, were, they had a vital role to perform, not just in organizing workers, but in educating workers. So you not only knew that the boss was doing this to you and that you could do this to stop him, but you knew why. You understood it ideologically. And so vast amounts of, 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 the, of our industrial and, and manufacturing communities were, were very switched on politically. They understood ideologically what they were fighting um, and, and how they were fighting it and why they were fighting it. And we've lost that because mass trade union membership went when our industries and our manufacturing went. We now have a series of small businesses and that which is closer to the, to the old artisans of, of pre-industrial revolution. Well, there's, there's not as many trade union members. There's certainly not mass groups where you huddle around and you get educated like there was before, you know? So what the working class has lost is uh, its ideology. It, it, it's still got plenty of anger. It's still got plenty of class consciousness. You, you, know, you know yourself as a working class person, you know you're being shot on from a great height. You know you are because you feel it every day. You go to work and it's hard to scratch a living. It's hard to keep a roof over your head. It's hard to keep food on the table. It's hard to get an ounce of dignity from your working life. You know, it's hard to picture any kind of retirement. But um, what 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 we've what we have is that consciousness and that anger, but we don't have the ideology to know what to do with it. So it, it swings around all over the place. Sometimes it veers left. Sometimes it veers right. It doesn't really know how to attack the people that are doing it. So you give it a chance, like the EU referendum vote, in it goes and it'll give you a kick in because people are angry and because there's that, that sort of mass ideological intent has gone. People are just kind of blindly angry, if you like. And, um, and we, we need to make that connection back. We, we, we need people to understand what, what, what the system is doing to them, how it's doing to them, and how you can fight back. And until we bridge that gap, until we get back into the heart of our communities, we're always going to struggle because 
we, we'll be uh, attempting to persuade middle class people to vote for the Labour Party, and 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 that ain't enough. <laughs> you, know? you, you, you need the working class to do it. Um, and this idea that, that the working class are, are, are racist now that you, you were banded about, oh, yeah, racist working class idiots, you know. The, I, I hate the bloke with a passion, but Yaxley Lennon is probably the only person in this country um, who, who, who understands that aspects of the working class are already in a revolutionary state. They're already angry enough to march and chant and demand some change. But what he does is he gives them that nationalism, he gives them that racism to march under. Because people on the left haven't given them enough of an excuse to march the other way. And the, and the reason, the, the reason um, I, I, it proves the working class aren't racist is there's enough anger out there for Tommy Robinson to march on Parliament with millions at his back. But he can't amass more than a few hundred because the working class aren't racist. And they see him for what he is, you know? But on the left, we need to say, look, this is how we do it. This is why we do it. Come on. And at the moment, that's missing, yeah? I absolutely love that. Um, I was just, on the, on, the, um, on the question of class, what is working class? Because like, a lot of people would say, like, I'm a teacher, and a lot of people would say that's a, that's a middle-class job, a traditional middle-class job. But I've done like sort of all sorts of other roles. Um, you know, I've been a cleaner, I've been a delivery driver, I've been, um, you know, a warehouse worker. I've I've done all sorts of different jobs. But like, am I? Are you defined by your current job and are teachers working class? Do you think? Well, if if, if you lost your job, would you would you lose your house pretty quickly soon after? Yeah, straight away. Yeah, you're working class, yeah. mate. That's the. Yeah. <laughs> do, do, do you know what I mean? It it it. it it, it, people have this idea uh, that, that they can they can break up the working class by suggesting that that one trade isn't and one trade is, and, one, and some people even try and do it stupidly on money, you know. But we, you know, uh, it, back in the day, I, I mean, the neoliberalism has done this. This is a good uh, this is a good um, analogy for it. Back in the day, a coal miner earned a decent wage, right? They had a decent wage because they had the biggest, hardest, meanest, most militant trade union at their back, and they got them a good wage. Same as uh, same as train drivers had a great wage because of the RNT and Bob Crone, what have you, you know? A militant trade union that fought and fought and fought for their members. But um, so a coal miner earned a decent wage. But if you tried to tell a coal miner they were middle class, do you know what I mean? You, you can't do it on money. It's not. It's not. Well, this this um, this this kind of idea that that you you know um that, that you must be middle class if you do that job and so and and this idea that, that you can be upper working class and all stuff like this now nah, like it, 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 for my money it doesn't matter what you identify as it's what they see you as so if you're still cannon fodder if you're still if, if, if all, all they do is send you out to, to work for them, and if you lost that job, you would lose your house and your, and your ways of raising your family and your kids. I'm afraid, uh, despite what you might want to call yourself these days, you're still working class. And um, uh, uh, that, that, that's it. It's not how you see you, it's how they see you. That's exactly how I feel, but you've said it in a much more um, articulate way. <laughs> so thanks for that. Um, so I want to finish off on speaking about uh, We Shall Overcome. 
you set this up in is 2015, is that right? And, yeah. And you also, in 2015, um, you were um, given the honour of being um, Human Being of the Year by the Morning <laughs> Star, is that right? Yeah, I'm sorry I, I, for I got, embarrassing you, but what a title! Human being of the year, incredible. It, 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 it was a busy year, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 2015, we set we set up. There was, there was a group of us set it up. Um, it 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 started on a comment on one of my threads. It was the day after the May 2015 general election. That's the general election before the general election before the general election before last. We've, we've had a few of them, but um, we. Uh, there was quite a lot of despondency because everybody had thought Ed Miliband had a chance in that election and um, you know, he didn't <laughs> and um, I, I was sort of casting about sort of like saying, well look, we need to do something positive, right? You, you know, stop looking, stop sulking wind your bottom lips in we've got five years to turn this around and on, and on that thread a, a, a friend of mine called Steve Goodall put what we need is a night of musical protest all around the country, let's pick a date. And that's basically what We Shall Overcome was born from. Now, Steve sadly died um, a couple of months back, so um, I'll get his name in there as a tribute. But effectively, we, we formed a team of, of, of five of us that went on to be nine of us that organised um, a whole bunch of, of part protest and part benefit gigs up and down the UK. So we... Um, encourage people to set up their own gig in their own town for their own cause, whatever was needed locally, work for that. So in some places it was for a food bank, in some places a soup kitchen, in some places a crisis centre, in some places refugee support, depending on what the need was locally. Um, so we've, we've done that since um, 2015 and we've, we've, we've run, you know, probably about 1,200 events now and, and they've, they've raised well over half a million quid's worth of support. But... That's that's been like, it's not been cast necessarily. It's been food. It's been warm clothing. It's been toiletries. It's been tents and sleeping bags. It's been all the stuff that people need when you're on the on the front line of of poverty. Really, we we've we've raised whatever needed raising. Um, it's been phenomenal, and and it's but it's taken thousands and thousands of people to do it. You know, musicians, poets, activists, organisers, and and so it's been a massive collaborative effort, and that's that's its beauty. You know, it's it's a it's a grassroots working class movement and, and um, it's been an absolute joy to see. And, and that's why I've got like hope for the future because I've seen it working. I don't necessarily believe in, in parties or the party structure or indeed in parliamentary democracy. I think it's proved itself a lie over the last four years. Um, that's a different, um, that's a, a different podcast altogether. But, um, but for me, I've seen, grassroots solidarity i've seen it firsthand i've seen what happens i've seen what mountains it can move i've seen that when you look at um the government's own figures the um the the place with the biggest reduction in homelessness is ashton underline which is our main base of operations where pauline town runs an operation out of their pub that has housed well over 300 people now and and they've got a, an 86% reduction in street homelessness in one of the poorest boroughs in the country because of working class grassroots support networks, not because of councils and institutions, because it was driven from the streets. 
and and driven by working class people working together and collaborating and uh, for me that's where the future lies and, and and that's that's what i'll carry on doing because i, I believe in people rather than institutions and how could people, um, if they wanted to support that or help or learn more about that, where can they go to do that? Um, well, they can have a look me up on Facebook, send us a message at joesolomusic at hotmail.co.uk or you'll be able to look us up on a website, which I believe is we shall overcome weekend.co.uk. I think so. That. If you look up we shall overcome weekend, you'll find us. Well, we'll make sure we put it in the description anyway of the, of the podcast or the YouTube video as well. That is so brilliant, Joe. So the last question I'm going to ask you is, um, what's better, being played by John Peel or playing Glastonbury? Ah, uh, I don't know. To, to be honest, I, I actually because um, uh, stuff just happens to me. And so I, I haven't really got any perspective on it. I know that we nearly we were driving to a gig in Lincoln when 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 Peely played us and we nearly crashed on the Umber Bridge. We were like, "Whoa!" Uh, but be, being on a stage uh, at Glastonbury with Billy Bragg uh, was was proper moving too. Um, Billy had lost his voice. He'd sung a set on the Friday and he compared all day saturday and he and he had to do this sort of like sing around set we, we was four of us on the stage and we we, we take it in terms of sing songs and billy had lost his voice and 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 so rather than not play he sat on the stage and it just got the audience to sing his songs and while he strummed them on the guitar and it's a proper special feeling sat there watching a few hundred people singing billy bragg songs while he strums them and he's just got this great big grin on his face. And it's that sort of love that people have for the man, you know? And, and it, it, it was just something really, really special to, to, to look out along them, all that sea of faces of people sitting, singing the New England back at him, just beautiful. But, um, I, but I, see, I see those kind of things all the time, you know? Things just inspire me everywhere I go, you know? People marching with banners, people singing along, people speaking, people just being amazing. You know, I see solidarity and the benefits of solidarity, and and and, and people, you know, inspiring one another to greater endeavors everywhere I go. I see, I see socialism in its in its social form wherever I travel, and 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 that's why, as a political force, I think if if we can. If we can demonstrate it socially, we can we can make it work politically. But we're not going to do that without reconnecting the, the movement to, to 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 working class people, and and that's 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 where I am. That's kind of my bag. <laughs> I'm going to say now, thank you so much for doing this, Joe. It really is appreciated. If you have enjoyed this video, please do like and subscribe, and uh, share it as well. That'd be really good. But thank you so much, Joe. You've been an absolute pleasure as always. I could talk to you for another three months, to be fair. You know, you, every single story is interesting. And um, thanks for all you do, because I think everyone really appreciates it. And you do deserve that award of uh, Human Being of the Year 2015. Not every year, mind. There's been other good humans as well. But, uh, you know. Socialism, we're going to share that accolade around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can all have it. <laughs> we can rotate it between us. Um, thank you so much again. And... Uh, yeah. Pleasure. Solidarity.
Red flag flagging here.